I know. Our first episode. It's so crazy. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. How's Florida? Florida is Florida. (laughs) You just got out of a hurricane, so. Just got out of a hurricane. It was actually Mm -hmm. supposed to come directly towards us, and... But it didn't. It took a last-minute turn, unfortunately, for everybody in southern Florida. They weren't even prepared. Like, you know, up here, we were all prepared. Everyone hoarded water, all the things. But I was like, I wasn't even worried about a hurricane, okay? I was worried about no power, Whitney Mm -hmm. Merritt. And I had to watch Hocus Pocus (laughs) 2. So I drove my ass up like 900 miles north to Alabama so that I could go to my parents' house and watch Hocus Pocus 2. I was thinking about that because I remember you said that your mom was supposed to come down to Florida to watch Hocus Pocus. And then the hurricane started happening. She could, I don't know if that was why she couldn't come down, but it ended up that y'all watched it together. So that's great. Yeah. It was not the reason, but it definitely happened. You know, it became a guilt-free situation for her. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So we're going to dedicate this episode to, I may cry. No, I'm kidding. Um, But this is serious. We're going to dedicate this episode to Loretta Lynn. Um, Mm -hmm. She passed this past week. And um, she is my all-time favorite person, hero. I have a shrine of her in my house, basically. And Fred Rose. And Fred Rose, it may not be a familiar name to a lot of people listening to the podcast, but he was a security guard at the Opry when we worked there. And he was just a character. He was hilarious. And he was just like this little old man <laughs> who would come around and he was kind of quiet, but when he would, he was that kind of person when he would say something, it was hilarious. So yeah. Um, do you have super anything sweet. to say about Fred? He was super sweet, dry personality. Okay. Like sometimes yeah. I couldn't even tell if he was joking or not. And I was a little <laughs> intimidated by Goo Goo Fred and I call him Goo Goo Fred <laughs> because <laughs> we sold Goo Goo clusters in the Opry shop. And so all the photo people, like Dee and Christy and all of us, they would like have goo-goos ready for Fred because mm-hmm. that's just his snack. That's what carried him through, okay? It's what gave him yeah. gasoline to pump through the rest of the show. <laughs> and if you are not familiar with goo-goos, um, it is a chocolate cluster that, I mean, it's mostly in, is it in this just in the South? Uh, primarily, it, yeah, they, I think primary, so. Okay. Anyway, they're sold at the Opry, and I've looked into this, but I think there's like a rumor that it stands for Grand Ole Opry, G-O-O, but then I've heard that's not true, so I don't know. But anyway, they sell them at the Opry. It's like a big Nashville thing, but yeah, yeah we were told it. We were told on our tour guide, like I was an Opry tour guide, we were told that that is not what it stood for, oh, even okay. though that was a rumor. We were told that the owner of Goo Goo said that his son or daughter, when they were a baby, it was the first word they said, because when they saw the candy, they were like, Goo Goo. And so that's why I named (gasps) it that way. I don't know if that's true, but they're also sold in every Cracker Barrel in America. Oh, that's cute. Okay. So Liz worked as a tour guide at the Opry 
And I worked in the Opry shop and I also like part of working the Opry shop was like doing the, um, the tour pictures. So I was on stage some, but <laughs> I am just a country music historian, like on the side. I just like doing it for, I'm just kind of a nerd about it. But Liz has actually done this as a profession and she has like, <laughs> she's taught me so much about country music. It's crazy. So she'll, she'll give me a little tidbit. So I didn't know all that. That's cool though. Well, you're crazy because you teach me a lot. Oh, I just okay, know what both. was in my script, baby. We're both just, I mean, country music historians. <laughs> okay, so um, my favorite Fred story was um, this group of tourists. They had been in the Aubrey shop like all night long. And the nights get long because I don't know if it was... A, sometimes we would have nights where you would have two shows. And then you would have um, some nights where there would be... Uh, tours after the show so no matter what time the show ended we were still there after and we would clean the shop after the show got out we would clean the, we would clean the store after the tours let out and then people would be in there forever so anyway fred apparently was ready to go home so he goes up to these tourists and he's like ladies it's it's time to go they said um we're not done shopping he says you can shop at opry.com <laughs> <laughs> like he was dead serious <laughs> i was dead yes yes I believe it. I I remember one night, you know, I just kind of looked at Fred because, you know, Fred was the only, only security officer. And I say that with love because one of my best friends was a security guy at the Opry, but he didn't do nothing. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> all these, all these security guys would just stand around the Opry shop. And I'm like, guys, we want to go home too. Like, can you scoot mm-hmm. the boot? Like, get these people out of here. Fred was the only one that would like follow people out, like herd them, okay? Like a sheepdog. <laughs> he would herd these cattle out and then he would lock the door immediately behind them, like no shame at all. And then he'd be like, let's go home. And I'd be like, yes, thank you, Fred. <laughs> he'd be like, look, come on, y'all. Um, so I don't think I mentioned it. I mentioned that Loretta Lynn passed, but Fred passed the morning after Loretta. So it was kind of a somber moment for anybody that's worked at the Opry or is an Opry fan. So yeah, big day. Yeah. It was, um, at the opera, you get to meet so many people from like different ages and different backgrounds and everything. And there's just so many characters that work there. So Fred was a big loss and, um, yeah, we wanted to dedicate this to him and Loretta Lynn, like I said, I have a shrine of her and I've been to see her three times. Um, I want to shout out to another, uh, opera employee, uh, Sue McTasney. She, bought me um a ticket to loretta's birthday celebration that was at bridgestone and she ended up breaking her leg that night and she couldn't even go but she let me she out she was like leaving the ambulance and i was like it's a long story but she was leaving in the ambulance and i was like are you sure you want me to go and she was like yeah hun, go have a good time and then they like hauled her off an ambulance and i went and cried my eyes out because i was in the same room as my hero but yeah, I um, that was a great memory for me. Not her breaking her leg and not being able to go, but just getting able to see <laughs> Loretta Lynn. Like that just shows how sweet she is. But anyway, yeah. Do you have any very Loretta sweet. Lynn? Um, yeah, the first time I ever saw her, like in the flesh, I was a tour guide at the Opry because that's when, if you guys don't know, during the months of November and December and January, we would be at the Ryman. Um, the Opry would be at the Ryman because they would have a Christmas show in and at the Grand Ole Opry. So 
since our house was kind of taken over, you know, we would just kind of go back to the Ryman, do our shows, whatever. So I was a tour guide that night and all of a sudden I hear a coal miner's daughter and I'm like, no way. And I like go to the side stage and there she is like right there. Like I'm so flipping close to this absolute legend. Like I couldn't believe it. So I took a picture even though we weren't supposed to, but I took a picture and I ran upstairs, um, because my husband was running sound that night and he was like, just go upstairs. And, uh, so I ran up there by the sound guy up there and took a picture up there. So that's actually on our Instagram right now. Oh gosh. Oh wait, you took that picture? Yeah. I took those pictures. Yeah, boo boo. That's why I sent them to you. Oh girl, that you're just sending me pictures. Nah, girl. That's from my phone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, that gives me chills. I wish I could have met her, but I am lucky that, you know, not many people get to see their hero multiple times. And mm-hmm. also in such quaint uh, venues like the Ryman and the Grand Ole Opry House. So, I'm lucky. Yeah. Very intimate but settings. anyway, we'll get on with our episode. Um we're so excited to start out this episode, our first episode on Halloween. Liz is the queen of Halloween. Yes. And uh, she loves, so she'll send, we have um, most of, so we have us two in our friendship group and then Shelby, um, who we also met at the Opry. She'll probably be on here at some point. Oh, yes. But um, we have our little Marco Polo group that we'll send videos in. And I got so excited about my little, I have a, when you walk in the door, I have this little table and I have about five, I have about five decorations I got up there and I was so, so excited. I was, I was like, oh my God, I did. I'm like, I am like Barefoot Contessa. I am Pioneer Woman. Like, go ahead and give me a show on Food Network and the Home Decor Show, whatever. And then Liz sends a video of her stuff and I'm like, oh my God. She goes yeah. all out. All oh yeah. Out. I can't even explain it. I'm not even scratching the surface this year either. Like, I'm a mom of a one-year-old. You know, I'm tired. <laughs> so that it's not nothing. But yes, I do love Halloween. I look forward to it every year. And now I live in Florida, where Halloween weather like doesn't exist. But that's okay. I'm just gonna live blissfully in my own mm. little world. So we're gonna be down there the week before. Me and Shelby are flying down the week before Halloween. Like, um, Halloween's on a Monday. Yeah, we're flying down. So we'll be there that week before. So we're gonna do all the Halloween activities. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be so fun. we'll talk about that on our second episode. Yeah, yeah, we'll be doing. Um, so we'll be. Oh my gosh, we'll be back before we post this. Anyway, that doesn't yeah. matter. Um, so I wanted to ask because one of my main memories of working at the Opry was a group of us were getting together to go to a haunted house, and you had. <laughs> You had just started not yes. too long before this. And so I didn't know you very well, but I remember we were all trying to get you to go with us. And the more we agged you on, the more it became very apparent that you were not a haunted house gal. Is that, is I know. that, is that <clears throat> correct? Listen, this is when all the haters are going to come out and be like, okay, well then you're not a true queen of Halloween because you don't like haunted houses. Okay, fine. 
have that one. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) But no, I hate haunted houses. I'll never forget this. One of my other best friends, Brittany Pig, I hope she's listening. I went with her that night. (laughs) Yes, she was still a tour guide because what was his name in the shop? He was a redhead and he was like obnoxious. Yeah, okay. Robert. He was. Listen, we're spilling the tea. Everyone knows it. Probably even him. But he was obsessed with Brittany. Okay? He kept asking me, do you think I could ask her out on a date? Blah, 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 blah. Because Brittany and I were super close. Because for my listeners (laughs) at home right now, I transferred from the tour department to the Opry shop due Mm -hmm. to some... um, We'll just say some conflicts, okay, with my <laughs> manager. Uh, we'll dive into that in another episode. You said that very nicely. I, Thank I'm you proud so you. much. Listen, I am very much working on myself, but <laughs> anyway. Yeah, Robert was, and I looked at him dead ass. Okay, we were folding in the outlaw section, and I said, there is no chance in freezing hell that Brittany is going to date you but if you want to go to this haunted house tonight and you want to shoot your shot who am i to stop you who am i to stop you brother so go do your thing okay and i heard y'all had a blast nothing happened with robert and Brittany. sorry robert (laughs) see i didn't know all this was going down i was just there enjoying my little self and Oh, I know, because I looked at her I said, how you, I said, how did you wrangle all these beautiful women into going to a freaking haunted house with you? He goes, I mean, just look at me. And I was like, okay, I can't not. <laughs> okay, talking about him, me and him had so many. I I think it was because we were both redheads, but we would have knockout, knock out, knock down drag outs. Like, yeah. just get, I would get so mad and I would just tell him off. Dude, anyway. Alexis Lynn, too. She, like, would go <laughs> ham on him sometimes. And I'm like, Alexis, you are my Christmas in a box, okay? She is literally the happiest person I've ever met. She's, it. sometimes I'm like, are you a little unhinged? That's how happy she is. But she would go at him. He just knew how to hit all those buttons, let me tell I you. Think he, I think he enjoyed it. I think it it was like a, a is, he was that kind of person. It was kind of a goal to see how he could, you know, kind of get on people's skin. Oh, for sure. But, but yeah, I hate anyway. Yeah. Um, so I, it became very clear, like I said, that you didn't like haunted houses. But when I was writing this episode, I was like, does Liz like scary movies? Do you like scary movies? I do. I just don't like demonic possession movies. That's a little too realistic. Okay. But like even The Strangers, that happened. You know? Yes. So, I do not like scary movies at all. I went to see The Conjuring, and I literally bought the ticket, sat there for maybe 15 minutes, and I was I left because I do not like possessed stuff. I don't like demon stuff, Satan stuff. No. But it's weird that you mentioned The Strangers because I do think that this, um, this story reminds me of The Strangers. It has kind of the some aspects to it that are similar to the story, like a house out in the woods, um, mm. people mm-hmm, in masks, mm-hmm. all of that. So, so, um, for all of you listening who may not be big country music nerds like Liz and myself, um, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of a country music variety show called Hee Haw, but it was big in my house growing up, and there was many references references to it. 
I can't say that word, references to it. And um, Liz actually has a funny story about Hee Haw. Uh, we may leave that for another episode because <laughs> um, it's a good story, let me tell you. It, um, it, it really encompasses Nashville woohoo girls. Is that what they're called? Yeah, that's what I call them. Woohoo girls. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. I can tell it real quick because now I feel like listeners okay, are going to okay. be like, what? Okay, yeah, so I don't real quick. Bachelorette parties loved coming to the Grand Ole Opry and taking tours. Why? I have no clue, but they did. So we just had a tour, blah, blah, blah. This group of girls comes in and this one girl, and let me just say, okay, so people are not like, oh my God, you're so mean. They're just trying to have fun. No, I'm super jaded. Okay, you be a tour guide and you work in the Opry shop for three years and you tell me if you're not just done with bachelorette parties. But this one mm-hmm. woman comes in and she sees our display of hee-haw merchandise because we still sell it. And she goes, oh my God, girls, hee-haw. Oh my gosh, I always thought the saying was yee-haw. <laughs> and I looked at her dead ass and I said, no. That's so funny. It is hee-haw. So go out tonight on Broadway and make sure you just say hee-haw everywhere and people are going to love it. And she's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait. And they went out. And honestly, it made my day. <laughs> when you, I like have tears in my eyes because every time you tell a story, it just cracks me up. Oh my gosh. Because Nashville, we were there. I don't think it was before this, but we were there in... Like when in the very beginning, when na- when bachelorette parties realized that it was the spot to go, right? And so I would say ninety eight percent of people that walk through the door were part of like a bridal thing. Yeah, they come in with their sashes, their their boots, and all that. But anyway, it was just funny, um, just funny dealing with all those people. But anyway, we'll get back to it. But that's I, I'm glad you tell that story now because it just. You're gets welcome. Me every time. <laughs> but keep going with your creepy story. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. So, I mean, honestly, bachelorette parties are a nightmare, so it kind of it's kind of scary too. But anyway, mm, um, <laughs> so like I said, Hee Haw was a country music variety show, and it was set in a fictional place called Cornbread County. It was filled with good down home comical skits, dancing, and music. And you may have heard your parents or grandparents reminisce on the pop culture favorite. It only lasted two years on CBS, but that was not due to its show, show's ratings. Um, it actually had really good ratings at the time, but um, it was due to an overall purge of royal shows on CBS. In 1971, anything that was considered country-leaning got the axe, and that included shows with also great ratings, Green Acres, Mayberry RFD, which was a spinoff of The Andy Griffith Show and The Beverly Hillbillies. I'm not really sure what influenced this, but from what I could gather, it was just that the CBS corporate people were not big on the country lifestyle, and so they hmm. they wanted it out. But um, I'm going to sing a little bit for y'all. Not too much. It's, two, it's like two lines, but I have vivid memories of my memo, my memo singing this, and maybe y'all do too. It was a song that they sang on the show, and it was like, Where, oh, where are you tonight? Why did you leave me here all alone? I searched the world over and thought I found true love, but you met another and you yes, was gone. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Buck Owens and Roy Clark would be, I'm a pickin' and he's a grinning. 
So those are just a couple of classic hee-haw moments that you may be familiar with. But hee-haw was able to walk that line of poking fun at country lifestyle, but not crossing the line to where it became offensive. It was more relatable humor and exaggerations of people's own life. And I think that's why my family, being from Kentucky, loved it so much because they were able to relate to some point to the characters on the show. Like they probably knew somebody in town that related, um, that reminded them of, of them. So the show had many stars from Roy Clark, Buck Owens, Grandpa Jones, Minnie Pearl, and a man named Stringbean. While advertising for this episode, we made the assumption, which is kind of silly, that everyone would know what we're talking about. When we would say string bean murders, we got a lot of blank stares and um, question marks on people's faces, pretty much. And Liz got asked if the people involved were murdered with string beans. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, I wanted to give background on the man that went by the nickname String Bean. David String Bean Aikman. He came from a poverty-stricken Jackson County, Kentucky. He's a Kentucky boy. Um, I'm from Kentucky, if y'all didn't know. Um... And he started out playing on a banjo that he made out of a shoebox and a thread. He was following in the footsteps of his dad, who was also known in the area for his banjo skills. At 14 years old, he had taken two prized chickens and traded them in for a real banjo. He went on to win a contest that provided his first job performing on the Lexington WLAP radio show. The show was hosted by country star Asa Martin, which I've never heard of Asa Martin. Have you? I have not, no. I mean, I hate to admit that I don't know somebody, but I don't know him. Anyway, so at one point in the show, Asa couldn't think of David Aikman's name. So he looked over at the young man standing there, and he saw that he was tall and lanky. And he shouted out, String Beans. And that's how the name stuck. So I guess eventually it just became String Bean, not String Mm -hmm. Beans. So the radio show was where String Bean would find that he not only had a talent at picking banjo, but he could also make people laugh. From there, he would go on to play at other barn dances. And barn dances are just radio shows that are country-based. I'm assuming it's like, because I know there's a story from my family where during the Great Depression, their entertainment was everybody got together and played in the barn and dance and stuff. So I'm assuming that's what it was. But anyway... Mm. During the time that he was playing on these barn dances, he was also playing baseball semi-professionally. So, while pitching, he was spotted by the father of bluegrass, Bill Monroe. And Bill Monroe is from the county right beside me. So, I feel like we're connected. Can I say something? Yes. There's a big, that big poster that hangs in the Opry break room. I always thought Bill Monroe looked like Jonah Hill. That's all I want to say. (gasps) He does. He does, really, right? (laughs) They should, like, make a movie about him. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know if he was a good... Fire idea, fire idea. Well, I'm oh, just not going to... make a like scary a... movie about this. <gasps> True. Oh my, gosh. oh, my gosh. You heard it here first. Okay. We may be doing it. Copyright or whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> Bill Monroe would promote his shows with his band at the baseball fields in town they played in. And I guess Bill and his band would get out and play as well because Bill would end up recruiting String to play on their team. So, at the time, he didn't even know that String could play banjo. He was just wanting him to play baseball on their team while they were in town. But, I guess eventually, they had talked and discussed and brought up. Because if I saw Loretta Lynn, I'd let her know, hey, I sing. Um, But, uh, (laughs) I guess String let him know, hey, I um, I play the banjo. So, from there, String would end up becoming a member of Bill's uh, Bluegrass Boys. 
There is a lot more to String's career, but he would go on to become a solo performer on the Grand Ole Opry and Hee Haw. Known for his costume, his deadpan humor, and banjo skills. And if you're not familiar with String being at all, his his like gimmick was he was really tall and lanky and his costume was a long shirt. It was long sleeve, but when I say long, it it went past his hips and it went down all the way to like his knees and that's where it met his pants. So it looked like he had a really, really, really long torso and he had um, really short pants on. Um, you want to know a fun fact? Sure. So... He actually got his first pair of pants for his character that he did from Little mm-hmm. Jimmy Dickens. What? Yeah. They were like, those were Jimmy's pants? Yes. He gave him his very oh first pair. Okay, he that, thought it was hilarious. That makes a lot of sense. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're always teaching me something. Okay. So, I, one thing I love about the Opry is like everything, it's like, like that fact right there, it's like everything has a little connection to something cool. There's always like a cool little fact or something. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, so the por- the performer who had grown up in the Great Depression and whose family was already uh, poor to begin with, he was starting to make money. And it was a great comparison to his humble beginnings. And while researching, it became clear through interviews with his friends that he would often carry large amounts of cash and that he had been seen flashing that money around. And I don't believe it was a, hey, I've got money. I think it was just, I don't know. I can't really, because other stories that you hear about him, he seemed like such a humble guy. So it's hard to to picture him being like a gangster or something like flashing his money all around. So that was kind of a hard thing for me to wrap my head around was him flashing money but he also came from like such humble beginnings and well i'm sure like you know when he would talk about that he didn't trust banks or whatever he always carried his money he Mm -hmm. was probably like see you know and he like gave him a little glimpse of it i don't think it was anything like yeah yeah you know and all the interviews said that it was more just in front of his friends so he it was people that he trusted that he did that too so it wasn't just like him out on the streets of Broadway or something and just flashing his money. Yeah, makes sense. But a good example of how he was kind of a humble guy was one night while waiting for Estelle, his wife, to bring around the Cadillac that they had bought. Um, This was like their big purchase once he had made it big. They paid in cash for a new Cadillac and he was waiting in the little alley that's there between, um, today it's between like Tootsie's Bar and the Ryman. He was waiting there for Estelle to bring the car around and a couple of guys that were also on the Opry show came up and they were wanting him to sign this this petition. And it was because they didn't feel like they were getting paid enough for performing on the Opry. Mm. And so when Estelle pulled around and he popped the, um, popped the, what is it? When when Estelle came around and and the uh, Estelle popped the trunk, he said, "Boys, all I can tell you is when I got here, I was a walking." So while many sources said it was common knowledge he carried loads of cash, I don't believe it was in a braggy way. During the peak of his career, he was still selling jewelry out of a tackle box backstage at the Opry, and he was selling ginseng he hunted himself to other Opry members too. So he was still yeah. Oh my he gosh! He sold jewelry in a, in a tackle box backstage. I'm like, that's so. <laughs> oh funny. my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, to me, a lot of people like that I've known that lived through the Great Depression, they still have this 
part about them that feels like there's at any point they could lose that money. So he was oh probably gosh, yes. really holding on to it. And I think that becomes apparent once you hear more of the story of how much they wanted to protect their money. So him and his wife Estelle will become best friends with another Hee Haw and Opry performer named Grandpa Jones and his wife Ramona. Uh, the two performers would often hunt together, and that becomes a major part of this story. Hmm. So, it was a night like any other for String and Estelle. It was November 10th, 1973, and it was a show night, and that meant that they had to spend their evening at the Ramen Auditorium in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. After exiting the stage and visiting with friends backstage, String had begun to load up his things to go home. This included his famous costume, The Five... That is his nickname for his banjo, which I never knew that. Pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And he always carried a gun with him. Around 10.40 p.m., String and Estelle loaded into their new Cadillac to head home to their home in Goodlitzville, Tennessee. So this is the part that gives me chills because both me and Liz know this feeling to a certain degree. Opry shows have this energy about them that surrounds you before, during, and after the show. It's like electricity almost at the beginning. You're so excited. The crowds are packing in. The curtain goes up and the light turns on and it's just full on energy fiddling and all that. So once all that energy is pushed out the door, it's just kind of like you're coming back down to reality. Yeah, and it's like just over. Yeah. You know? It's just like there was there's so much, so much, so much, and then it's nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of creepy. Um, yeah. <laughs> The performers and the workers, uh, once the show's over, you pack up and you get on the road. And to relate even more, both of us, we, at some point during our time in Nashville, we lived in the northern Davidson County um, like part of Nashville. And so we took almost the very similar routes as they did to get home. Liz actually lived right in Goodlitzville, and mm-hmm. I lived in Hendersonville, which caused me to drive through Goodlitzville a lot. So we know that route very well, and coming home from a show, we know that feeling as well, too. So um, to know they experienced the excitement of a show, a quiet road, ride home, and they had no clue what was waiting for them at their house is just terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, so. yeah. So little did they know, while they were at the show, there were two cousins. One was named Doug, and the other was uh, John. And I will be uh, referring to them as the Brown Boys, because they were Doug and John Brown. Uh, Those two boys were waiting in the home of String and Estelle. The Brown Boys had broken to the cabin to find cash, but were out of luck. And this wasn't a random hit. The Brown Boys knew that performers back in the day were more likely to keep cash on them than to put it into the banks. So, when they found no money, they turned to plan B. If they couldn't find the money in the house, then they would just have to wait for string, which is <laughs> so, it's so scary. The two drank and smoked while tuning in to WSM on the Aikman's radio. So, they would know when string and Estelle would be on their way back to Goodlitzville. And I just have to add the audacity to, for one break into somebody's house to rob them but then just to sit down and smoke and drink and booze and have a couple of laughs like what the heck it's just yeah and to listen to them on their own damn radio like (laughs) oh my god and i don't think these two were as smart to plan out like this is what we're going to do it kind of just worked out that they were sitting there listening to the i think probably the opry was the only thing coming on the radio but it worked out because they were able to know when they were coming home 
But um, Estelle and String's commute took less than 30 minutes. As they pulled into the drive, String knew something was off, and he got out of the car with his 22 in hand. And this is the part that I find similar to the Strangers movies. The brown boys were hiding inside, one with a stockings over his head and the other with a Halloween mask on. So, I was curious what a Halloween mask would look like in 1973. And you can see an example on our episode partner post on Instagram. Um, so, this is a good time to mention that. So, there may be things that we mentioned that need a visual aid. And we will be posting those on our partner post on our Instagram page, spilling the tea underscore podcast. So, you can head over there and there will be certain things that we mentioned that you can see um, on our Instagram. So, yeah. But for like right now, for you listening, if you haven't looked up that mask yet, it's it looks a lot like the one that Heath Ledger wears at the beginning of Dark Knight. Like it's like Mm -hmm. a classic clown, but still creepy, you know? Yeah. So that's the part that reminds me of the Strangers movie. Like it's this house out in the country and there's just people waiting to attack pretty much a mask. And oh God, I can't imagine real life. Yeah, so, and this was after a double show, mind you, because this was a Saturday. Golly. So they were there for a while. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, it's just it's just terrifying. Because I, I think it, what gets me is I remember getting off work and just kind of decompressing on the way home, and it was just so dark. You were the only one on the road, and there would be the, like, streetlights on Briley, or there would be the streetlights on 65, and it was just kind of quiet and just kind of spooky in itself. Yeah. And you're just kind of spooky but also peaceful, and then you you pull in, you're finally home from a long night, and you have no clue there's two people waiting there for you. It's just terrifying. Uh, source materials say that in court, Doug Brown testified that String stopped in hesitation after opening the door and before walking in. Was he taking in the view of his house being trashed, trying to think of his next steps, or was he just trying to muster up the nerve to walk in? No one will ever really know. I know that me personally, I would need a long moment of hesitation just before I decided, like, what am I doing? You know, am I gonna? Dude, I'd turn around. <laughs> you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I would. I would be seriously. It. <laughs> I think I would so, turn around. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And it it kills me because if you look at, at him, he looks like such a like just jolly guy, um, just kind of simple and and quiet. He's just and, so nice. And yeah, like, you can just tell. You know, <laughs> it's it's horrible. So, um. String had his gun outstretched as he walked in, and to his right, he saw Doug Brown, and this caused String Bean to begin firing shots. This caused John Brown to fire the pistol he had found in the cabin to kill String Bean. So String Bean's own gun was what killed him. Dang. (sighs) Now, you may be wondering where Estelle is in all this. Remember, String Bean had left her in the car so he could go check out the place. And I'm sure it was a scenario of being a protective husband. He's like, you know, you stay here. I'm going to go see what's going on, and I'm going to see what's up before you come in. So Estelle had moved the car closer to the house, and I guess this is when she heard the gunshots and all the commotion inside. Source materials say that this is when she starts running for her literal life toward Baker Station Road. She ended up falling to her knees, pleading for help, but was shot in the back of the head and, and also in her back um jeez 
I didn't know all this. I didn't know all these oh, details. Really? Yeah. yeah. If you're remembering back at the beginning, I said that when Stringbean got off stage that night at the Ryman, he went backstage and was talking to friends. Well, he was all. Um, well, he was actually talking to his best friend, Grandpa Jones. Jones and Stringbean were discussing their hunting trip to Virginia while their wives were planning on having dinner while they were gone. And this was a big deal to Estelle because Stringbean did not eat red meat. Like, absolutely not. And I'm not sure if it was like, you know, some people get like a tick bite and they get alpha gal where they're automatically allergic to red meat and they just like repulses them. No, or I did if not he was that. just. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. People, my, a lot of people around here have it. I guess a lot, there's a lot of ticks. But anyway, um, he just absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, he absolutely did not like red meat. So Estelle was like, heck yes, like this is time for me to get a steak. And so she was going to eat it with Ramona, Grandpa Jones's wife, while they were out. So this is why Grandpa Jones shows up at the Aikman house the next morning. He was there to pick up Streen to head for Virginia, but instead he found his close friends dead. Oh, my gosh. Horrible. The first inclination that something was wrong was there was no smoke coming from the Aikman house. They lived in this little cabin, so it was it was November. Mm-hmm. November they would 10th. have had you know, they would have had that smoke going. And then Jones noticed what looked to be a coat laying out in the yard, and as he approached, he realized it was Estelle with a gunshot wound to her back and her head. As Jones went in the house, he noticed Stringbean's banjo, the famous one called the Five, was laying on the porch. He continued into the house, only having to open the screen door since the front door had been left wide open. This is when he found his best friend laying in front of the fireplace with a gunshot wound to his chest. Jones rushed to call the police from the Aikman home, but found that the phone lines had been cut. He then rushed to his house, which was two miles away, to let his wife know and to notify the police. So, just to understand how much these two were best friends, they had bought a plot of land together and both moved on the uh, the same plot of land. And to go back to why I don't think that String Bean was Flash's money in, in co- sort of like a, like a flashy way, I guess that's the best thing I can think of right now, so they had there was two homes on the land and he wanted the smaller cabin that was kind of more humble. He he said like he demanded that that's the house that him and his wife were going to take. Hmm. So I just don't feel like he was he had the the characteristic to be flashy in that sort of way. Yeah. Um so the most sickening part of this story is that two lives were taken so that the brown boys could steal the following. They got one of strings um costumes. Which, I mean, that, you know, that could make some money at some point, but... Um, <laughs> Not if you're the murderer. <laughs> right. String beans, guns, a mm. chainsaw, and $250. That's all they made off with. Mm-hmm. So, Estelle had sewn a secret pocket in the inside of String's overalls that concealed the fact that he had $3,182 on him. Wow. And then Estelle, she was also hiding money herself. Turns out that she had tucked away $2,150 in her bra. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> they didn't even search them. They killed them. They didn't even search no. them. No. Wow. They're idiots. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, not sorry. Um, 
So the Brown boys fled the scene that night before in the Aikman's second car, a station wagon. The station wagon was left out near Rock Quarry, not too far from the Aikman home. The murderers were not found immediately, which brought panic to many country stars. This was a defining moment for country music where its innocence was truly lost. The two Brown boys were eventually caught. I wish I knew more details about how they were caught. Um, all the source materials that I read, it didn't really go into details. It just said that eventually they were caught. And that the cops, like, you know, apprehended them and everything. So I, I read that they were bragging around town. Oh, okay, good. Glad so you. they are dumb. Yeah. <laughs> there. <laughs> um, but this caused, like, a lot of the stars to question security. Like, there's, before they had never been, you know, they would go in the, in the Loretta Lynn movie, Coal Miner's Daughter, there's a scene where there's stars like drinking with Loretta's husband. Like they were just, it was more down to earth back then. Like country stars would just go to Tootsie's and drink with their fans. And that this is the, the moment that everything changed. They mm-hmm. no, no longer felt safe. And it kind of reminds me when I can't remember her name, Christina Grimmy. She was on the voice or okay. she was a YouTube star. Anyway, she did a meet and greet and she got shot by a fan. No and way. Are you serious? And this is what triggered the Opry. Well, I don't know if it was the whole reason, but I know that it triggered the Opry to get the metal detectors. You know what I'm talking about? Wow. We didn't didn't have to walk in through the metal. It was a total change. Like, we used to just walk in. I had to do that training. Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, no big deal. Just walk in, and then it completely changed where we had to open our purse. They put a little stick and everything in there. Mm-hmm, so anyway, mm-hmm. it just kind of reminded me of that, like security. There was just one moment where security became such a big deal for the stars. He Hall was filmed only twice a year to accommodate stars' touring schedules. So while the trial for his murder was happening, Streambean was still appearing on new episodes of He Hall. His close friendship with Grandpa Jones would ultimately be able to link the Brown Boys to the murder. And so I actually want to read part of Grandpa Jones's testimony because yes, I haven't read any of it. This okay. is the tea. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get to it here. Okay, so the Brown Boys attorney was trying to like he I'm getting the the vibe that he thought he was Mr. Know-it-all and he was dealing with all these country folk that didn't know anything Cute. and he thought he could outsmart them. Great. So he asked Grandpa Jones, Mr. Jones, how do you know those are string beans guns? And this mm. um, this is what Grandpa said. Now, one would think that someone who could perform on a, sorry. Minnie Pearl tried to jump up here, and she <laughs> she freaking wiped out. Okay. <laughs> Grandpa said, Now, one would think that someone who could perform so well on the banjo as well as String Bean could would have the mechanical ability to do all kinds of things with his hands, but String Bean couldn't. He could not clean his own guns. So every Tuesday morning in the fall, I would go over to his cabin and sit with him on the front porch and clean his guns. See that shotgun there? It has a scar on the stock from a barbed wire fence. There is a chip in the handle of that pistol. I knew he could not take the guns apart and put them back together. And I knew if they weren't clean, there might be a misfire or some kind of accident. I did not want to see string being hurt. So I took it on myself to take care of those guns. I've cleaned them hundreds of times. You see, string bean was my friend. 
Mm. Ah. That's going to get me. I'm going to cry. I'm real emotional. Like the fact that for one, you know, just him saying string bean was friend, but he thought so much about that string bean couldn't clean his own guns and it may be cause a misfire. Like he, they really did care about each other. So it, that well, got you don't me. get that anymore. You know, Mm-mm. like that was, that was how friendships were back then. People don't yeah. care about each other like they did right. back in the day. Unfortunately. I mean, except for you, you really do well, like that. You know, I do. I do. I would clean your guns. Oh, I would clean your guns too. Oh, I probably thanks. couldn't get them apart, but I would, I'd find somebody to get them apart for you. <laughs> anyway, you're the Grandpa Jones to my string bean. Oh, stop it. <laughs> okay, so let's go on. Um, eventually, John <laughs> Brown tried to claim insanity as his defense, and his own father <laughs> let the courtroom know that as a child, John would harm animals such as cutting cats' tails oh, off God. and pulling wings off birds, which is a <gasps> telltale sign of a murderer, but... I don't feel like because they weren't going in there to murder. They were going in there to rob. And then String Bean, you know, started yeah, shooting. that. Yeah. Did he hire Amber Heard's liar? <laughs> right. Or? Right. So both men were sentenced to life and they were denied parole in 1993. Doug died in 2003 of natural causes oh and John's request for parole was denied four times before he was eventually released in November 2014. Well, so you are. he's just you out are and about, an and he's going to hear a podcast of me calling him an idiot. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, lots of Opry members band together, and they would go to all of those parole hearings and testify saying why they shouldn't get out. So it just shows how Nashville really is a small town. Ways. and really The Opry was a, a family community at that, at, to- at that time. I mean, in some ways it still is, but not as much as back then. Yes. Um, um, so it was evident through the kind words said about the couple, they were down to earth folks who didn't serve, who didn't deserve the ending that they got. Let me re-say that. Okay. So um, it was evident through the kind words said about the couple that they were down to earth folks who didn't deserve the ending they got. The new Grand Ole Opry house opened in 1974, Dang. a year after the murders. So uh, String Bean never got to see the new Opry house. And if you've never been to the Opry before, it's a pretty big plot of land where trees and flowers are lining the walkways. So it's a, it's really a, a pretty place to go and see um, if you haven't been there yet and just kind of stroll around stuff. Um, while you're walking around, you'll find a dogwood tree planted there in memory of David String Bean Aikman. While the story is a terrible one, it highlights the power of friendship and how someone from humble beginnings can become a star. I'm going to the Grand Ole Opry to make myself a name was the last song String Beans sung on stage. And that's the story of String Bean. I asked my grandmother uh, if she remembers, you know, about hearing about this, everything. And she said, oh, yes, mm-hmm. Elizabeth. It was all over the news. Yeah. It was the biggest thing that happened. Because it was. I mean, it was the biggest thing that had happened in Nashville. And like you said, it changed, you know, so much and how people thought. And then, you know, it created this whole new fear and anxiety in Nashville. It, up to the point where String Bean's house, they did Nashville tours. They mm-hmm. actually, and after this happened, String Bean's house was on that tour, which is how I think, you know, Doug and John must have known where he lived. Or they had other ways. I don't know. But... 
other people would start calling in after all this happened and request to get taken off the tour because they didn't want people knowing where they lived anymore. And it's just so crazy for me to think. Like, after I read that, it makes Mm -hmm. so much sense, okay? You don't really (laughs) want people. Now, I know stars have security systems and all sorts of stuff, but they Mm -hmm. still do house tours. Isn't that crazy, though? They do that now? Yes. And you know, like, Carrie Underwood's stalker list is huge. Okay, we actually have a copy of it um, at the Opry because obviously they're not going to let you backstage if you're psychotic. Mm -hmm. And I just can't believe, like, I don't know if she's on the tour. I would think so, though. She's a huge name. Just working in the industry, and I've worked in in so many different parts of the industry, but one of the weirdest moments for me was working meet and greets at the Opry and Mm. just seeing some of the fans' faces when they see the star they love it's like they become a different person almost. It's like, it gave me the chill sometimes. It was like, you could oh tell they were gosh. batty. Can I tell like, you this I felt story? bad for the, the stars. What? Can I tell you this story? I actually yes, just yes, yes. told this story to somebody at church because we were talking about crazy fans. But I was doing a backstage tour and we do these tours at night right before the show called the Behind the Curtain Tour. So we take you back 30 minutes prior to the curtain going up. You get to see all the dressing rooms, like a normal tour. You get to see everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to stand on the stage and you get to see the moment the Opry curtain comes up. You get to stay on stage for this first song. Like it's actually a really cool tour. Mm-hmm. So we were doing this tour while Keith Urban such a lovely human being okay yes Keith Urban uh, was coming through the mailbox room which is right by the Mm -hmm. security desk as you know and he was just going to his bus I guess because he wasn't going on till last clearly that's when all the big names go on and this woman that I was with Whitney she saw Keith Urban and she started hyperventilating. Her body started shaking and she lunged for him mm. and gave him a hug. And without even thinking, okay, I grabbed her wrist and I whipped her back so fast. I'm shocked that I did not get in trouble. But it was like completely, like my body didn't think. It was just one of those reactions where I'm like, lady, you are crazy. Okay, it, it all happened so fast. And Keith Urban handled it like an absolute angel. He was so sweet. He's so, oh my gosh. Still took a picture with her, gave her a hug. He told me it was okay, you know, all that kind of thing. And I'm just like, oh my God, people are nuts. Like that, Absolutely Keith insane. Urban is still a human being. Like, come yeah. on, y'all. <laughs> crazy. It's just... I don't know if there's certain people, like, I don't know, like, if that, if that lady had gotten a job at the Opry, would she act that crazy, or is it just, it takes a certain kind of person to work in this industry and not flip out? I think it definitely takes a certain kind of person to work in this mm -hmm. industry. I think that happens during the interview process, but I know how to be a normal human being, you know? Plus, before I worked in LA, you know, and I saw plenty of people, but I gave a very honest answer, but Mm -hmm. it blows my mind that more people don't lie about it in an interview. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, people are like, oh, my gosh, I would totally freak out. You know, and it's like, please be Mm -hmm. cool. (laughs) Like, please be cool. (laughs) But that's how they weed out the psychos because the psychos don't think about changing their answer, you know. Right. But I do know that, you know, during the show, (laughs) they really... 
care who they let back in terms of staff and all that kind of stuff too. Yeah, like everybody just can't go back there. I remember the biggest security lockdown was when the Eagles were doing their rehearsal for tour. Vince Gill was, do you remember that? Oh and Don, my gosh, I think it was I Don do remember Henley. That. He had it locked down. Like we couldn't even go to the freaking break room. Dude, so locked down, he didn't let the general manager back there. Did you hear about that? He didn't let Sally back there to her own office. I was like, brother, you're off your rocker. Okay, let's get it together. I mean, Sally doesn't care about you. I mean, all of the Eagles and all, but I mean. Yeah, it's just like, okay. But. Yeah, I'll never forget that. There's just, there's so many stories of just fans acting Baddie. Insane. Baddie, baddie, Insane. Baddie. Like running into dressing rooms, like all sorts of stuff. There was one that they were taking pictures of Brad Paisley's kids what? and his wife, Kimberly, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think, yeah, Kim. People don't hate me at home, but yes. Um, <laughs> she was like starting to shield them. She kind of gave me a look and it was just like a co- telepathic communication mm-hmm. moment where I was like, okay, got it. And I quickly like took them around because I didn't notice, but also it's like, can you not take a picture of someone's children? Right. You know, like leave the kids out of it. Mm-hmm. Brad wasn't even in his room. He was on stage, but. And, like, what are you going to do with that yeah. picture? Oh, my God. I met Brad P- Paisley's son. Like, okay. I just, I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it. He's, like, five. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so cool. Yeah. And I would call my mom and be like, you will not get Like, I, okay, Miranda Lambert. So, there's Loretta Lynn at the top of my list, my favorite person. Second, Miranda Lambert. I've seen Miranda Lambert, like, <laughs> nine times. And every time I tell people that I'm a Miranda Lambert fan, they, like, tell me they hate her. I'm just used to it. <laughs> They're like, I think she's a bitch. And I'm like, I don't know. Personally, she might be. I don't (laughs) don't know, know. but I like her music. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I'm just, I'm used to that. But anyway, I saw her one time. She was dating Ian Anderson. I think that was his name. And they were in Kroger. I was in Kroger with my favorite person. You know what I didn't do? I didn't run up to her and annoy her. Yeah. Okay. Right. You were normal. Maybe I should have, maybe I should have kind of went up and said, hey. But I went. And fell to the ground and did all my embarrassing stuff away from her because these fans, they are these artists. <laughs> I mean, some of them are really nice and they don't really make fun of you or anything, but it's not like they're like, oh my God, this person's falling to the ground, like crying over me, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine, Whitney, like, if you I ever hit can it you big, <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> if someone came up to you and they're like, frol- like f- just, you know... I almost said frolicking on the ground. That's not the right terminology, but my thing is just so I like we we both took turns um like working the camera for meet and greets and stuff. <laughs> and I just remember standing like you're standing there watching it all go down. And probably the person that's in the meet and greet is not really paying attention to like the there's like people around. They're just like they're in their mm-hmm. zone. It's just them and their star. But there's people there watching you and they're like mm-hmm. oh my, I'm just <laughs> And like there's pe- like people like me just standing there just staring and watching and it's just like I want to know what the star feels like just having this person just cry about them. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I do wonder what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. But never feel it. No, I'm kidding. I'm sure Shelby has some wild stories about oh, meet and greets yes. too because she was always out there. 
Always. Mm -hmm. She's also tall. She has a great natural angle (laughs) for the camera. Shelby Lynn, (laughs) Shelby Lynn Mosman is our best friend. She will definitely be on the show. We might have, we should do like a meet and greet episode where we just like talk about meet and greets. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. Because I could go on for hours. Oh yeah. Especially that tiny little kid. What was his name? Mason, the, yeah, Mason, the yodeling cowboy, yeah, Walmart who like boy. D- knows n- not a th- single thing to do. Like his parents are like coaching him through the whole thing, and he's so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> oh gosh! But anyway, good times, good times. We get we get together, us three. We get together and we just gossip about the Opry and good old times at the Opry. So and bad old times at the, the Opry because there's a <laughs> lot more bad times at the Opry. Very, very true. Very true. <laughs> All right, I'm ready to hear some of these ghost stories. Oh, if you're ready. Oh, I'm ready, baby. Okay, Okay, so because we have dedicated this to Loretta Lynn, she actually saw a ghost. So I want to start with hers. Uh, So she actually worked on a album and is called Full Circle. I think is what she was singing on Um, but she asked John Carter to co-produce and that's Johnny Cash's son and they did record their album at Man in Black's go-to studio Cash Cabin Studio so that's just where Johnny Cash always recorded it's kind of just his place right well she was interviewed by Garden and Gun and she said a door opened from the control room into where I was recording and I and in walked John. I didn't think anything of it because I was so used to seeing him since we were such good friends. He had one of those gray uniforms on from the Civil War and all of a sudden it hit me. Lord, that was Johnny Cash. I cannot explain the chills that are all over my body. I have tears in my eyes. Dude, like, like for a, that ugh. Yeah, I can't imagine. And to be quite honest with you, so I don't know if you remember Kayla Williams, but she was also a tour guide with me. Um, Super pretty. She was an ambassador. Kayla, um, if you're out there, hun, I may remember you. I just can't (laughs) picture you right now. Honestly, like one of the biggest (laughs) Carrie Underwood fans you would ever meet in your entire life. Okay. Um, But she used to dog sit for someone who lives in one of Johnny Cash's old houses. Oh, wow. And she, they allowed her to have, you know, a couple friends over. So we went over very respectful. We didn't do anything crazy. But there are some rooms in there that, like, even the family doesn't go into. And I went into, like, one of the old Carter rooms. And, dude, it was, like, cold. Like, the rest of the house was normal temperature. But that room was very cold. And she said that the whole house is, like, pretty much haunted. They hear weird noises all the time. Like, I just cannot. Like, it would Um, creep me out. But I'll never forget that house, ever. If, no. The minute, if I got that job, the minute I would say, hell no. Yeah. Like, there's no way. But it's also super cool. Like, it is cool to say that you dox it at, you know, it's like their old Madison house. It was in Madison. But so, you know, different country artists have like Mm -hmm. seen different ghosts that a lot of them have uh, various stories on David Allen Coe's country music ghost story called The Ride. And he was telling the Tennessee and this 
bonkers story. He actually like tried to contact Hank Williams for ghostly inspiration. So he lit candles around his living room because he wanted Hank Williams to show himself. And he screamed, Hank, why were you so big? Just because you died young, show yourself, help me write this song. And he okay. looked around. Be- <laughs> I know. He looked down. A- I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> he looked down a long hallway and he said, Hank Williams was sitting there without a shirt on, on his couch in the living room and actually helped him write that song. So now it makes me want to go back and listen to it because that's crazy. So it's called The Ride. Wow. Mm-hmm. I have so many stories about David Allen Coe, but I'll, I'll go on. Do you? <laughs> Okay, well, he's, I just have three been, more, okay? Yeah. And then you can go like... Okay. Okay, so Opry guests come. They don't know each other. We hear all different stories that, like, there's no way they could possibly have met and talked about it, whatever. Line up, but they don't know each other. But, and that one applies to Lady McGavick, but I'm going to save her for the end because that one's really, like, crazy, But there were some guests. So when you walk into the dressing room hallway, to your left is the very first dressing room. It actually starts with dressing room number four. It's called Into the Circle. That's where everyone who makes their Opry debut, they get to stay in that dressing room for the night. When you look in, there's a mirror like directly in front of you. But behind you, when you're looking in the mirror, is a glass uh, display case. Well, for the longest time, they had Minnie Pearl's dress on like a bodice, but on top, there was no head. It was just her hat, okay? Just to display her costume. Well, a guest took a picture in the into the circle, and in the mirror, you can see Minnie Pearl's face, like at her dress and her hat. Her face was not in that display case. And she told Laura Lee and Stacy. Laura Lee is the tour manager. Stacy is the assistant manager for the tour department. And Angela was one of our tour guide leads. She was one of our leads. And she said that they sent that picture in and they saw it. And like, true, they can actually see Minnie Pearl's face, which is so freaking creepy. I don't know how it happened, but it is wild. That is wild. Yeah. (laughs) I can't imagine. Oh, my God. I just got creepy vibes anytime I was backstage at the Opry, or if the lights were off, like after a show, the lights were off. And oh yeah, I hate that. I hate that because the I'd Opry doesn't be have a ghost light. They just keep their balcony lights on, <gasps> so you know, under the balcony, they just leave a nice glow. And I'm in theater, baby. Like I'm a stage manager, and you're supposed to have a ghost light. So it freaks me out that the Opry does not. <laughs> but <clears throat> okay, so then there was another tour. Mary McCoy, if Mary, if you are listening, I love you. So much. I never she got was to know her, but her personality trainer. So. I could just and she's, she's the person. best person ever. But she was like, she was a cinnamon roll. Like you know, it says looks like a cinnamon roll is oh, a cinnamon she, roll. Yeah, like she I just, was. she's like, I got that vibe from her. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. yes. Oh, she was like our mom. You know, we would call her mom. So she was telling us about how this little boy kind of trailed off the you know, tour trail a little bit, not too far, but they couldn't find him for a minute. And then when he came back around the corner, he said, he like waved into the abyss, just waved. Okay. And the little boy's mom said, honey, what, who are you waving to? No one's there. And he said, yes, there is. You don't see him. And he said, he's making me laugh. He's so funny. 
And yes. And the mom goes, who, who? And he said, he's, he's got an oxygen mask on. And he's so nice and a big white hat. And Mary oh was like, um, that's Ernest Tubb. Like, that's crazy. That had to be Ernest Tubb because Ernest Tubb actually fell ill with emphysema around 1981-1982 and unfortunately passed away from that in 1984 it had some oh oh my gosh i can't isn't that crazy terrifying um those were great yeah dude i love those i want more i want more 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 which i think we should make it a tradition that on halloween we just pull out you know some spooky stories. Yeah. <laughs> Ghost stories? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay. The best one is about Lady McGavick. And so, like I said, people are on the tour all year round. And we've had a few instances. And even employees have said they have seen her. She is always sitting in Section 13. So if you go to the Grand Ole Opry... Make sure you take a look at section 13. And they always describe her. She's sitting and she has her hair up and she is wearing an old Victorian antebellum style black lace dress. And that has got to be Lady McGavick. She also haunts the hotel. There have been many guests saying that they, when they wake up in the middle of the night, she's over the bed watching them sleep. Like, so many people have seen her to the point where if anything goes wrong in the hotel, they kind of joke and blame it on her. So let's say you have a beer that's warm. They'll say, oh, Lady McGavick, unplug the cooler. You know, like, they'll just like and joke about it. But here's some history on Lady McGavick. Okay, so she goes back and forth between the hotel and the Opry House as they were built on her family's property. They owned 1,100 acres of land in Nashville. She's always in a full black antebellum style dress, as that is what she usually wore. Sometimes, though, they do see her in her white wedding dress, which is crazy. So, uh, let's see. David McGavick. Okay, there is McGavick Pike in Nashville. Well, David McGavick built built their house, which is the Two Rivers Mansion, They built it in 1859, and he built it for his bride, Elizabeth Harding. There's also Harding Pike. Mm -hmm. Connections. Mm -hmm. Um, The McGavick family and their descendants lived in the house until 1965 when the last heir died. Then the Metropolitan Government of Nashville purchased the property for nearly $1 million in 1966. It's 475 acres is how big the property they bought was. Now, Two Rivers Mansion is a wedding venue. She has been seen in a lot of wedding photos taken at the mansion, which honestly kind of makes me want to have a wedding at the mansion. Okay. To like. So let me find a man and then we'll do that. Okay, great, great. (laughs) I'm going to live vicariously through you. (laughs) Um, Nashville built the following on all of the property. The Opryland Hotel, the Grand Ole Opry, McGavick High School, Remember mm-hmm. where that's at? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two Rivers Golf Course and Public Park, Wave Country Water Park, the Skate Park, and the Greenway on all of the acres. I used to go so out there the and walk by myself. What the hell? Girl, you crazy. You crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, so isn't that like wild? That's so there's also stories which I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I just remember stories of like um the uh so before the Opry Mall um, uh, yeah. There was a theme park there, but she didn't even want the theme park there. Um, but the theme park closed in early nineties and they built the mall there. And just to be joking right now, but so serious, the mall in itself is a nightmare dealing with all the tourists. Um, but actually, yes. but yeah, you tried to go get you a little Starbucks before your shift starts. You got to get there a good 30 minutes before. Yeah. But um, back to what I was saying, we had um, managers that would come from like retail stores at the at the mall and they would they would say, yeah, we dealt with Miss McGa- or Lady McGavick there too like anytime like something fell from like a display fell down or you know lights flickered or something they would say it's lady mcgavick so there's just too many people that have experienced her for it to be just a fluke yes for sure Mm -hmm. and d who was our photo person um like we she was the manager of our like uh, the people when you go on stage and you take tour photos she we were out on stage one night and your back is facing the audit like the auditorium like if people were out in the crowd they'd be looking at your back when you're taking photos which is absolutely terrifying in itself but she was (laughs) telling me she was telling me um in the section that you were just saying she pointed right out to it and she said one night i was out here by myself and i look out there and i see a lady in a victorian dress just sitting in the crowd and so it's just, and then Liz, you telling me this, I'm just like, what the heck? Dude, like, can you imagine waking up in that hotel and there's an old woman in a black Victorian dress mm-hmm. watching you sleep? Like, no, thank you. Checking out now. <sighs> there was one security guard. I can't remember. There was one security guard who said he was taking a nap or something. He had accidentally, he was sitting up in the, in the auditorium up in the balcony and he had accidentally like dozed off and he said he woke up and, and Lady McGavick was standing over him. Oh my gosh. I think I know exactly who you're talking about. I want to say his name is John. I can picture him. But he always. Mm-hmm. I can't he's think like of a his medium too. Like he's. Yeah. He sees yeah, different yeah, yeah. ghosts. He, he's had many. Yeah. Many Dude. ghost encounters. He was telling us that. <laughs> and I would. I would go and find him. I'm like, listen, and I don't know why, because I do not like scary stuff, but I would be like, please tell me all your ghost stories. And maybe we should have. Oh have my gosh. I will show. totally I reach know, out to him. We became buddies. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. I would be like, please tell me your stories. And he wouldn't really tell me. I feel like he was like, it like he didn't want to mess well, with Well, I mean, something. it is serious business. Know. Mediums would definitely argue that it is. And plus yeah. like, I don't know, maybe he didn't want to like flaunt his abilities you know true or like true. he took it he was ghost though. mad because you can make ghosts mad but the ryman we think mm-hmm. the opry's haunted no 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 the ryman is a thousand oh. times more haunted like fact fact yeah because if you don't know right uh, people listening if you don't know ryman history it started out as a tabernacle like an old church and they would have revivals there like southern old southern baptist revivals in that church and oh everything. yeah that's where they all went to church and during the civil war i mean everywhere everything mm. anything with the civil war it just no it's a no yeah hard no um, pass so sometimes so when you worked at the opera you worked really for 
Ryman Properties. Is that what it's called? Ryman Properties? I can't remember. Ryman Hospitality. How can I forget? So <laughs> I would, because the show would move, it would, so during the summer, it would be at the Opry House and then the, in the like winter time, it would be at the Ryman. And then during like more slow seasons, I would go and work at like the Wild Horse Saloon or I'd walk, work at Opry Originals. And sometimes I'd work in the warehouse. So they had me all over the place. But um, uh, during the winter, I would go to the Ryman and I would work in the like little Opry shop there. And we would be packing like merchandise for up those steep stairs. Do you remember the stairs like as you go in? Oh, yeah. Super steep. Yeah. My calves would kill me for days after walking up those. But I just felt like I had, I just remember this feeling that something was like over me. Anytime I walked up oh. those stairs, I just have a like a vivid memory of like walking up because I would have to go back up and down those all night long, like taking stuff up and down because there was like the Ryman shop and then they would put like a makeshift Opry shop at, at top of the stairs. Yeah, I was so dumb, honestly. Oh, just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we got the same stuff. Like, Why I get it to? because the Ryman shop is so tiny oh my god Mm -hmm. and it would just be miserable but no one really cared to shop upstairs because people didn't understand that we had the same merchandise in both places you know so whatever girl they had me out there with a cash register on a yep wheel thing they sure did and they had me string some like little lights on two little poles (laughs) i was like just put up a free, if we're gonna do this, just put up a table. Let me put out some shirts. Call it a day and do it like yeah. a little garage sale. Like if we're really gonna do this country, let's do it country. Um, but I hated them stupid poles, and I'd have to string up the lights and make it look all aesthetic. Oh, I remember pleasing. that's how Haley and I oh actually God, became my. friends at first was because I was tour guide, you know, over there. And then Haley oh, yeah. was always out there looking absolutely miserable. <laughs> And I was like, oh, another miserable person. <laughs> let me that. let me become friends with them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This has been so fun. It, it really has. Um, it really has. So we're going to do at the end of every episode. Uh, were you done with your ghost stories? I was. I was. Okay, yes. good, 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 good. Because I didn't want to interrupt. Those no, are awesome. Great. And I will not be sleeping tonight. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, but at the end of every show, we are going to share crazy Nashville news. And I already sh- shared with mine with Liz. And so she hasn't shared hers with my- with me. So I'm like super duper excited. So I'm going to tell mine first. Is that okay? Okay. Please do. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so this happened. What day is it today? Oh, shoot. Today shoot, shoot. is October so, 10th. Taylor Lindsay's October birthday. 10th. Happy birthday. Who's? Taylor Lindsay. Oh! <gasps> Happy birthday, Taylor Lindsay. Oh, we should be we should give out shout outs when it's people's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um so this happened October 7th, and we're gonna be your people are gonna be listening to this on October 31st. So yeah. A little it's month okay. behind, it's still funny. Anyway. True, true, true. Um let me go to the actual. So this happened in Goodlitzville, where we are just talking about string bean. God love Goodlitzville. <laughs> <laughs> They're up to no good. Yeah. <laughs> in good Lizville. <laughs> so, um, a Nashville man is accused <laughs> of stealing $83 worth of potato chips from a Kroger. And he is going to end up facing felony charges because he stole $83 worth of potato chips. Now, my question 
is what kind of potato chips were they? Were they quality? Were they just some Lay's? Were they wavy, some good op- They better be wavy. <laughs> I love me a nice, you know, kettle chip. I like a crunchy kettle chip. Mm. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine facing a felony over some potato chips. Okay, so $83 worth, you said? So about five bags, mm-hmm. you know? Just kidding. Very true. <laughs> five <laughs> bags with about two chips inside. Most of it's there. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah, the I'm times see, we're living Is there in. only one Kroger in Goodlettsville? Yes, it's actually very nice. Is that the one that was down the hill from your apartment, kind of? Yes, it's off okay. of Long Hollow. So, yeah, that's my little story. Wow, what a... I mean, times are tough. I mean, can you blame <laughs> the guy? You know? <laughs> what else is there to do in Goodlettsville? You know, really? How, wait, how do you carry 83... How do you get away with 83 bags of chips? That boy must have or had some cargo dolls. shorts on. <laughs> cargo like, shorts. Like a fishing vest. a man carrying... Like, having a well, he, whole wagon he, full of chips. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but if he's putting them in his body, he's got to look really oh, puffy by the end of it. <laughs> Nobody wanted to say... He's um, like a Randy off of Christmas Story. I can't put my arms down. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Nobody want to say anything because it like he's like just might be a little puffy man, you know? Yes. Okay. Eighty three dollars worth of potato chips. Hopefully they were good. Okay. So I was looking up crazy Nashville news stories. Okay. I'm and I got to read some of these comments too when I'm done. But basically, <clears throat> there's this guy. Will Fredo. Can we just start with that? His name is Alfredo. No, his name is Will Fredo. W-I-L-F-R-E-D-O. Will Fredo. Wait, that's his first name? Yes. Oh, I thought his name was like William Fredo. No, Will Fredo. Will Fredo LeBron. Okay, so there we go. I'm awful. I'm awful. Okay, sorry. Okay, so this is the tagline. Is what this says. Okay. Wilfredo LeBron bites brother's thigh and biceps, squeezes his genitals during latest argument. And I'm like, wow, tell what? me more. Tell me more. <laughs> so I click on this. Okay. And it says in the continued dispute, this is a continued dispute, guys, between two brothers, 41-year-old Wilfredo is now on the other end of the situation and finds himself jailed, the same place his brother Justin was in just days ago. In today's incident, Wilfredo came into... <laughs> the apartment complex, and began to argue with Justin, lunging toward him twice, then biting him once on the left bicep and again on the left thigh. Owie. Justin (laughs) says his brother then squeezed his balls and ripped a necklace from his neck. Oh, Wilfredo, why are you squeezing your brother's balls? (laughs) You need to start calling your brother Will Wilfredo. (laughs) I will, I will, actually. (laughs) He was booked into the Metro Nashville jail on October 4th. Okay, friends? His (laughs) his bond is set at $2,500. So if you would like to go save Wilfredo, go on down and give him 25 buckaroonies. Well, $2,500. I was going to say $25. No, $2,500. 
<laughs> okay, so I'm like, this is a continued dispute. How did this start? Buckle in, right. friends. Will Fredo LeBron Jr. got into an <laughs> argument with his brother who was 39 years old. So this is a 39-year-old man and a 41-year-old man. Okay, like, Yikes. come on. Thir- 39-year-old Justin, this all happened and started at the Love's... <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. At the Love's Truck Stop on Trinity Lane. Now, let me tell you for my non Nashville folks, Trinity Lane is sketchy as fuck, okay? Don't go to Trinity Lane. It's, ho- it's not the Holy Trinity at all, y'all. No, it sure is not. It it's is the not very like opposite. me, Shelby, and Whitney. It is very opposite. <laughs> this is where, oh, oh, and at this first argument, their father was also present. So, this is oh a family God. affair. Wilfredo <laughs> says Justin made accusations that Wilfredo had been sexually assaulted in prison and punched and strangled him with injuries documented by police. So Wilfredo went hard and punched and strangled him. Okay. I'm starting to see Wilfredo's side. You know, a few hours later, Wilfredo was at the family safety center. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's not funny. It's really not. It's really not. It's really not. It's really not. Sorry, 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 sorry. A few hours later, Wilfredo was at the Family Safety Center to complete information about the earlier incident, where he was strangled and punched by his brother Justin, who was also making accusations that he had been sexually assaulted in prison. Okay? Okay. Mm. While there, Justin played a recording... (laughs) (laughs) Justin played a recording of a FaceTime call where Justin continued to make threats that included cutting off his genitals and shoving them down his throat and further threatened to end Wilfredo's life via some very explicit methods. Justin Justin was charged with harassment and aggravated assault and strangulation. Now, here's my question. Why? Why, Justin, did you play a recording of your own self? (laughs) Okay, I was getting confused. Okay. Yeah, like, okay. <laughs> Are you just this family? Oh my gosh. Yeah, okay. so this is an ongoing situation. So who even knows what's going to be happening by Halloween? Maybe <laughs> the balls will be eight. I don't know. <laughs> Who's to I hope say? To God, I hope to God in heaven not, but you know. <laughs> well, we will... I hope so too. <laughs> Can you please keep us updated on the I shall, Wilfredo I shall, and yeah. Justin? Um, yeah. So I see Wilfredo LeBron. What was his last name? No, Wilfredo LeBron. That's it, baby. Okay. I'm starting to see his side because, you know, first of all, I don't, is this a low blow? His, his brother got the name Justin. Okay. <laughs> And he got the name Wilfredo. How do you I mean, make that's that a, leap? That's a 41-year-old grudge right there, you know? <laughs> like, mm, you know, my sister, my sister, she got named Helen, like a sweet little Helen. I got Whitney, you know? And that's Those are kind not of a, the same. You n- are not Wilfredo. <laughs> I know, but, you know, she's got a little biblical name, and I got named after Whitney Houston. Oh. So there's a I little, know you know, there's a little space between that there, but... So I can understand, but Wilfredo to Justin is a huge leap. Yeah, it's like, and Wilfredo's older. So they were like, Wilfredo, that's a solid name. And then he got made fun of in school. And they were like, you know, Mm. let's go for something a little bit more in sync, you know? (laughs) 
Timberlake. He's a hot one right now. So let's go with Justin. I desperately need you to keep us updated on the situation. I shall, I shall. Just for you. When you said Love's gas station, oh my God. And I know exactly where that's at. I'm trying to picture it. Where's that at? Oh, right there on Trinity, you said. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, It's near a Taco Bell, I think. So. Uh Uh-huh. There's a Jack's. There's a Jack's right there. Yeah, it's like super shady over there. Like, super. (laughs) My dad stayed in a hotel one time when he came to see me in college, and I was like, No, Paul. You can you can stay at my apartment if you want. No, he wanted to stay there. (laughs) (laughs) He don't give no shits. We want to thank y'all for listening to Spilling the Tea. Whitney Merritt and Liz Ent are co-hosts and co-producers. The show is edited by Jeff Ent, and the theme song was performed and recorded by Sam Mays, a.k.a. Chumsky. Follow us on Facebook and our Instagram at SpillingTheTea underscore podcast for show updates, partner posts, source material, and contact info for any business inquiries. Be sure to rate us whether you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Thank y'all again so much for listening, and y'all come back now, you hear? Hear?